We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So sections 102 through 105, they combined other sections with the ones about Zion's camp. But let's be honest, this lesson is about Zion's camp. Yeah, I mean, the bulk of it and also like the what I got most out of it, maybe I just overlooked some other things, but man. Zion's camp was a pivotal event. It was a, a life changing experience for all the people who went somewhat controversial because I think a lot of people might think, oh, of course you're going to sit here and say, oh, they grew so much out of this experience because it was from the outside a complete waste of time and miserable failure, right? If you don't take into account all of the blessings and learnings and observations and all that stuff that they were able to get from it, it could look like they just went on a big long walk, suffered all kinds of terrible afflictions, stopped and came back you know it could look like that was a waste of time people died you know there would be a huge 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 controversy if that happened now but and i don't i don't think that back then people were like super thrilled about it either <laughs> by any means well i think it's it's funny because one they received that um the revelation that said the redemption of zion would come by power and this was after the saints in Missouri, in Jackson County, Missouri, uh, were driven from their homes. And it's, I don't know, it's hard for me because during this time, the, the saints have received a lot of revelations in the previous sections that were very specific and very practical. Then they've, they've also received revelations that were to be understood kind of at a higher level like overall the dispensations or the whole cycle of the earth or the plan of salvation, you know? And I think this was one that was under, they, they were the, the most practical thing that I saw that coming came out of this was that it tested and it tested the saints and provided uh, an opportunity to kind of select the quorum of the 12 and the leaders of the church from this scenario. And the other one was it it provides a model that sometimes the Lord asks us to be obedient. And it's more important that we're obedient than the expected outcome for that obedience. A little bit like when King Benjamin is speaking, where you start getting a sense of sometimes we we expect or we we want. Well, not not so much King Benjamin. It's more like. Uh, the doctrine covenants that every law in heaven is predicated upon obedience and any blessing is, is a, you know, sometimes we start thinking of like 
oh, I just need to find the law I want for the blessing I'm looking for and go to like the spiritual quickie mart and buy that one. No, I think that what some of the things the Lord teaches us is to show us that there's order and he's in control and aware of things. And how things work out is kind of still dependent on us to continue to have faith. And for me, it's I've noticed that I can I can have faith and believe in something. And as soon as I learn that principle, it now becomes not faith or a belief, it's knowledge. But the more knowledge I gain, the more equal faith I need to continue to learn more things. So sometimes we think that all of our faith will eventually be replaced by pillars of knowledge and we'll never need faith again. And I, I tend to believe that we'll need faith forever. Because as knowledge continues to increase, we'll need more faith so we can increase in knowledge. Hence, eternal progression. Yeah, at least from our point of view, that's how it appears to me in our existence. And Zion's camp, for me, really summarizes our, our earthly experience. We're all going to go through trials. And like in the New Testament, when the Lord says he causes the sun and the rain to to rain on the just and the unjust like meaning it your righteousness sometimes is not going to keep you from feeling harm yep. or feeling pain or feeling sorrow or disappointment yeah I, I think it's also we we always have an idea of what we think the outcome is going to be and these men when they set off you know this is following sections where they're saying um if you're being attacked don't don't respond in kind the the second the third the fourth time then bring it to me and i the lord will justify you and i think a lot of them thought ha now's our justification now is when we're going to go down and you know not only defend our people but maybe hit back a little bit we're not just going to sit here and take this this persecution and so they had this idea of what the outcomes would be that well, here we go we're zion's army we're going to go and we're going to carry out this mission against those that hate us and are persecuting us and when it didn't accomplish that there was a sense of emptiness or or a sense of kind of failure in in the mission but the lord never said this is why you're going to go you're going to go exact vengeance he said i need you to do this i need you to go to this place and i need you to carry out these things but what was the actual objective that the lord wanted them to accomplish I think it was what they did. The Lord wanted them to be tested. The Lord wanted them to question their own obedience and their own willingness to follow, even against overwhelming odds. And I think he his mission was for them to be tested in that way. And yeah, if you look at that as like all of our lives, maybe we have on our heads the way things we we think things should turn out, or the way that we think uh, the objectives should be. But we don't have the bigger picture view that the Lord has. And a lot of times it's like, why didn't this happen? Why didn't I get this or why didn't I get that? And the Lord's like, that wasn't the point. You know, the point was you need a humbling experience or you need to. I need to see if you're going to be obedient, even if everyone else isn't or whatever. It's pretty interesting, though. There's a, a talk by Elder Bednar called On the Lord's Side Lessons from Zion's Camp. And I would encourage anybody to, to read it, uh, especially when you're studying this, just because he, he breaks it down really well and there's a lot of great stuff in it. But he talks about how there's a testing and a sifting that occurred. And he says, 
How did the testing and sifting that occurred in the lives of Zion's camps participants serve as a preparation? Interestingly, eight of the brethren called into the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in 1835, as well as all of the 70s called at that same time, were veterans of Zion's camp. At a meeting following the call of the 70s, the prophet Joseph Smith declared, Brethren, some of you are angry with me because you did not fight in Missouri. But let me tell you, God did not want you to fight. He could not organize his kingdom with 12 men to open the gospel door to the nations of the earth and with 70 men under their direction to follow in their tracks unless he took them from a body of men who had offered their lives and who had made a great, as great a sacrifice as did Abraham. You think about that story of Abraham and Isaac. You know, that also was the kind of thing where the expected outcome did not occur. Abraham was told, go sacrifice your son. And he was like, are, are you sure? Okay, I'll, I'll do this. And he expected that he was going to sacrifice his son. And in the end, he was stopped in mid-action and told, hey, that wasn't it. We just, I just wanted to test your obedience. And you are very obedient and you will be blessed for this. And, you know, here's a ram that you can carry out a sacrifice in the right way. But if you look at it that way, this is not a new principle. This is not something that the Lord decided to say, Haha, just kidding, you know, to the, to the saints in 1800s. This is something that he's done throughout history where he says, I want to see if they will go all the way to something that may, may hurt them, may be difficult for them. I really like what you're saying because in the, in the, um, in the lesson, in the little section called Zion can only be, can be, <laughs> Zion can be built only on principles of righteousness. Right. Um, it starts out, it says, why did the saints lose their promised land of, in Missouri? And why didn't the Lord allow Zion's camp to restore them to their lands? So there's kind of two things that have occurred. The saints in Missouri were promised that land. Why were they driven out? That could be a question that they can ask them. And the second one is, why wasn't their land restored according to, to these things? And um, it then says, certainly the violent actions of Missouri mobs played a role. And the governor of Missouri had pledged support for the saints, but never gave it. So we're being told part of the, the reason is other people have agency. You know, and leaders that promised certain things didn't live up to it, and other people decided to take action. But the Lord said that were it not for the transgression of my people, Zion might have been redeemed. And and, and it says, you may notice some things that hinder the establishment of Zion in Missouri and others that could have helped. What do you learn that can help you establish Zion in your heart and homes? Mm. And that's that's something that I've been thinking a lot as I listen to this lesson. And I don't have an answer. <laughs> but it's something that that is interesting to me because equally, just like like the example that Joseph Smith mentions about Abraham and the sacrifice. That also stuck in my mind because I think Abraham was a seasoned prophet. When because there's there's parts that have mentioned that his son would have been like maybe in his 30s. So it's yeah. not like a young son. Right. So as a seasoned prophet, he must know the plan of salvation. He must know that if a righteous person dies, they you know, that families are forever, you know, he must know the plan of salvation, right? So the act the the act of the Lord asking him to sacrifice his son isn't an act of murder. It's an act of will you truly trust the knowledge that you have received? That families are forever, that nothing is lost to me. 
that we will live again. I think that's where I place my, where my mind goes is why would that be so difficult? One, it'd be difficult for the fact that you love your son, you don't want to cause him any harm, and you will miss them greatly. And we're kind of accustomed that we die first as the parents, not our children, right? And then that really struck me because as I've been thinking about Zion's camp and I've been thinking about Abraham's example, I think it's the perfect (laughs) scripture parable story for our time right now during this COVID pandemic. Yeah, I was gonna say, didn't you post something a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, like remember Zion's camp? It was like, we we have to look at the parallels that happen to us today. But along those lines, uh, going on in another Bednar's talk, he says, as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in 1977, President Ezra Taft Benson raised a prophetic voice of warning in a meeting of regional representatives. I now quote extensively from President Benson's message and invite you to invite your focused attention on his timely counsel. President Benson said, every generation has its tests and its chance to stand and prove itself. Would you like to know of one of our toughest tests? Hear the warning words of Brigham Young. The worst fear I have about this people is they will they will get rich in this country, forget God and his people, wax fat and kick themselves out of the church and go to hell. This people will stand mobbing, robbing, poverty, and all manner of persecution and be true. But my greatest fear is that they cannot stand wealth. President Benson continues, ours then seems to be the toughest test of all, for the evils are more subtle, more clever. It all seems less menacing and it is harder to detect. While every test of righteousness represents a struggle, this particular test comes as no, seems like no test at all, no struggle, and so could be one of the most deceiving of all tests. Do you know what peace and prosperity can do to a people? It can put them to sleep. The Book of Mormon warned us of how Satan in the last days would lead us away carefully down to hell. The Lord has on earth some potential spiritual giants whom he saved for some 6,000 years to help bear off the, the kingdom triumphantly. And the devil is trying to put them to sleep. The adversary knows that he probably won't be too successful in getting them to commit many great and malignant sins of commission. So he puts them into a deep sleep, like Gulliver, while he strands them with little sins of omission. And what good is is a sleepy, neutralized, lukewarm giant as a leader? We have too many potential spiritual giants who should be more vigorously lifting their homes, the kingdom, and the country. We have many who feel they are good men and women, but they need to be good for something. Strong patriarchs, courageous missionaries, valiant family history and temple workers, dedicated patriots, devoted quorum members, in short, we must be shaken and awakened from a spiritual snooze. That's so good. So good. Because to me, it feels like, of course, we're not going to do these obvious, terrible things. But how many times do we just, are we lazy about it? How many times do we just allow ourselves to get comfortable? You know, the gospel is not a gospel of just getting comfortable and finding your spot and being like, okay, I don't want to stir the pot too much. I don't want to, I don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to have to roll up my sleeves and get dirty. No, the gospel is a little bit more about getting dirty and getting down and, and doing hard work sometimes. And I think that's what he's saying is we, we've experienced a lot of comforts and prosperity and we we run the risk of taking all of that for granted and, and just assuming that, oh, well, I'm a good person. I don't do anything bad, so I must be OK, right? Well, yeah, you're OK, but it's not about just being OK. How can we be better? Yeah, I I often think about in the New Testament, Christ's miracles, 
and the various ways he healed people. Some he just told them, be healed. Some he, he, he spit in dirt and made mud and rubbed it on their eyes. Some touched the hem of his clothing as he was walking by, right? And there's part of me that I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's like some science or magic to all of this, you know? Uh, or I wonder if it has nothing to do with that. And it's more for our understanding that the ways the Lord accomplishes things are diverse. The outcome of healing was the same amongst all of them. What was, what was troubling them might have been different. What the method for them to become healed was all various and different as well. But the outcome of being made whole was the same. And I look at the, par the parallel to that to our lives, that what ails us is all different. Yeah. The promise to be made whole or to come unto the Lord and, and feel of his love and be whole is the same. But sometimes I see science camp and other parables that are similar as we want healing, but we will only accept it through these methods. If those methods are not, if it doesn't come in the flavor I expect it to come in or in the way or in the timing I expect, then I will disregard the destination and, and not be obedient and not follow and turn away from it. Where we have the benefit of the scriptures and many, many examples of when the Lord has told his people, be obedient, do the right thing. And for me, I, I think of the people of Limhi and I think it was Alma the Younger. The ones that went when Alma the Younger ran away from the king, from the, the priest of Noah and they went to the wilderness, they ended up being persecuted and eventually led back to the land of Sarahumla. And the people of Limhi, once they rebelled against King Noah, put them down and, and, and they, and I think Ammon came to them, they eventually made it to Sarahumla. So they both made it and they both suffered, but it was different. One, those that were obedient were not without trials. But Alma the Younger says they were able to bear the burdens and the Lord strengthened them. The other ones, I think, had to go through a little bit more uh, difficulty. So I'm, I'm saying all that to say, you know, in our day, we have a perfect example of this. You know, the, the prophet called for a day of fasting. And we fasted together. And right after that, people, I think, expected COVID to be gone, you know. <laughs> But right. we're almost two years into it, and there's there's been closures, there've been openings, there've been uh, medical advice, there's been this, there's been that, and for us, we have been counseled, uh, and even had specific messages from the first presidency individually sent to our email about what we should do and what we are encouraged to do, and in this time where we should have faith and wait patiently on our trials and use a little bit of the persevere to the end, all the little quotes that we like to say at Sunday school, you know, those little, you know, I didn't layman and Lemuel just, just how can they not get it? Why would they turn after all these things? Why would they turn away? Well, we're kind of seeing a lot of that sifting and turning away 
from our leaders, you know, because the expected healing, the expected outcome is not coming in the flavor or at the time that we want. And that's a that's kind of a dangerous place, you know. So it's very important, you know, that science camp and, and these lessons, we look at them and try to find ourselves in that story. Am I in the crowd that would question the prophet Joseph Smith? That would say, ah, this must have been for nothing. Hey, I believe in prophets, but this one right here got it wrong, you know? <laughs> or are we in the other where we found that in the journey, there is something to be learned and it's kind of up to me. You know, I, I find <laughs> it's interesting. We all want to change the world, but we hardly ever recognize the power in changing ourselves. It's it's so easy to view externally uh, organizations, countries, neighborhoods, things that want we want to change, and ideas for how they should change. But so much harder is to change ourselves, and that's the actual that that I think is very applicable to the gospel because only then, only when we ask, "Is it I?" You know, Lord, is it I? Not is it Judas? No, is it I? That we start to feel the power of change. You know, I feel like the the Zion's Camp experience was a fast way for the Lord to um, give people the agency, give people the opportunity to use their agency to show that they were going to be obedient and to start to stand out as leaders within the community of members. It was a quick way to to identify who's going to be the people that I can rely on from here on out. And they still had the freedom to not come, not to not go, you know. And so it was, I want to give them the opportunity and see who will follow through all the way to the end and see where they end up. Are they resentful? Are they angry? Are they ready to just quit and leave? Or do they come back and say, okay, well, what did we get out of this? President Harold B. Lee has a quote. He says, we're tested and we are tried. We're going through some of the severest tests today, and we don't realize perhaps the severity of the tests we're going through. In those days, there were murderings, there were mobbings, there were drivings. They were driven out into the desert. They were starving, and they were unclad, and they were cold. They came here to this favored land. We are the inheritors of what they gave to us. But what are we doing with it? Today, we are basking in the lap of luxury, the like of which we've never never seen before in the history of the world. It would seem that probably this is the most severe test of any test we've ever had in the history of this church. I say I, I share that quote because I feel like we look at Zion's camp as this thing that happened to them and hasn't happened since. And in that concentrated a way, maybe not. But our Zion's camp is every day. Your Zion's camp is every day. Your decisions to choose to be obedient regardless of the outcome is presented to you every single day, every week, every month, every year. And so it may not be a singular you know, event, this happened and this is what came out of it, but it's this ongoing struggle between good and evil, between truth and, and deception, and between understanding the doctrine of the gospel and just kind of floating through things. You know, uh, That ongoing struggle is what all of us are going through. And it may not be the same as you know, marching on uh, with terrible shoes all the way through Missouri and whatever, and then coming back and having dysentery and cholera and whatever else. But it's it's a different kind of challenge. And it's a different kind of ongoing endurance battle. Yeah, I, I think I, I like that quote. And the, also the one you shared before, I think it was President Brigham Young, 
Yeah. <laughs> he talks about the greatest fear is that we become complacent because yeah. we're wealthy and we don't have to struggle for things as much. And, you know, it's easy to see Zion's camp that, you know, they had a march. I think it was like, I forget. I should know this. It's like a thousand miles or something. It was, <laughs> well, maybe not a thousand, but they had a march a long ways. Either by foot, they had uh, cholera. Yeah. Maybe. Um, they ran out of water at a certain point. Um, you know, that cannot be easy. Um, and also, but you look at our life and it's like, our greatest challenge is the distractions that keep us from doing the right things. Or that nulling effect where you have a bunch of spiritual jalliants, but no one is acting like a spiritual jalliant because we got lulled away into comfort, into a routine. And um, I would say, for me, it feels at least any anything I have had where I grow, opportunity, and later it becomes either a talent or a strength or something I'm somewhat competent in, had to start with me getting out of my comfort zone. And getting out of your comfort zone is built on faith. It's an act of faith. I'm not sure how this will work out. I'm not sure about this impression. I'm not sure about this calling. I'm not sure if I volunteer more, or if I speak what I say, maybe I'll be asked to teach or I'll be asked to be more involved or or I'll start caring about other people or, you know, it could be all those things, right? And to some extent, we have to accept ourselves first how we are, but we also have to accept that we are following a gospel and a savior in that is promising us that he can make us whole and in being whole is something that maybe we don't even that we know that we want but we don't even know all the steps that it are going to take to get there and that requires faith i feel that our lives the the improvements and the way we spend it uh, is so important and as we commit to follow the Savior and follow his prophet, there will be things that are asked of us that are purely faith and that the answer or the resolution doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes just like certain exercises, like spiritual exercises, uh, this might have been a treadmill session and it built other capacities really recommitted people to the cause or caused some to fall away. And it, it might have been better that they fall away during the camp than then they fall away later when they're a leader and they can take people, even more people with them, you know. In the, in the Sunday School Manual, there's a quote by President Marion G. Romney. And it was interesting to me, his approach to this. He says, the Lord could take care of the poor without our help if it were his purpose to do so. But we need this experience, for it is only through our learning how to take care of each other that we develop within us the Christ-like love and disposition necessary to qualify us to return to his presence. And I think that we we lose sight of that. We think that sometimes, oh, none of this could happen if we don't do it. No, the Lord could make it happen. The Lord could make anything happen. The Lord could. He doesn't really need us to make things happen. 
but he uses us uh, to, to do his work because of what it does for us, who it makes us, how we get opportunities to grow and learn. Every single calling I've had has pushed and pulled me in some way, you know? It's it's forced me to to do something I wasn't comfortable with. It's forced me to learn how to be better at something that maybe I was comfortable with. But it's always been like that experience I needed to have. And then later on in life, something comes up and I'm like, I feel better about doing this because I have experience or because I've done something like this before. And so it's not completely out of the blue. And I think the more that we're willing to show the Lord that we're willing to be obedient the more opportunities he can open up for us to to learn and grow as well. And that's what this life is all about. Taking those opportunities, being obedient, despite whatever the outcome might be, and trying to glean what you can from it. And not assume, you know, that we have we've got it all figured out. Either that we know what's supposed to happen or uh, that it, you know, glorifying ourselves somehow that oh because i was such a great leader because i did this so well the ward is doing well or this person came back to church no it could have happened anyway even without you but what did you get from it and what have you learned to make you a better person because of it um that that's really i mean the the underlying message of zion's camp is the lord wants to push us in every way to make us better and when we're willing to allow ourselves to be pushed and to not push back, but to say, all right, wow, that was rough. You know, uh, what did I get out of it? What did I learn? Where am I? How am I better because of this trial? Some trials, we don't really understand why they happen. Some of the biggest trials in my life, um, I may never fully understand. What, what that suffering was about or... <clears throat> why why that at that time it had to happen except that when things when i do receive the blessing when i do receive an outcome that brings me happiness it's worth so much more and maybe that's all it is sometimes is that heavenly father wants us to appreciate when blessings do come and when the outcome is something that's uh happy or favorable but maybe that's all it is sometimes too yeah i think sometimes we're kind of cursed by the search for meaning. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a wonderful thing 99% of the time, but there's 1% where where we can't find meaning. We don't find understanding why something is the way it is. It doesn't quite fit. It seems unnecessary. And sometimes we have to just go through the motions, you know? I'm a very big believer that all actions should be deliberate and intentional. But I've come to realize that sometimes you go through the motions and you hang on and just have faith that things will feel different in time, you know, and and that that just the hope that it won't always be like this. Sometimes it's enough to just keep going and and that and that's what I found, you know, there's there's a lot of. You know. I, I I I hesitate saying the word depression because it's become like a negative connotation, like or or it's so broad that it encompasses many things, you know. But there is room for sadness and disappointment, and that's part of the journey. And it doesn't make it easier. It does not make it better. 
<laughs> and sometimes it just makes no sense. And that's when we hang on to hope and faith and just hope that even moments when you're like, I don't see how I could ever be happy again. I don't see how what I used to love to do will ever be meaningful again, or I'd like that again, or, you know, but we we persevere and we hang on. It's an interesting thing because I look at the Savior and the Atonement as something that we're often told, well, he knows what you're going through. And even sometimes that doesn't make you feel better. <laughs> it's mm. like, okay, so there's two of us that are miserable. Okay, so what do we do now, you know? But there's something about our experience and and the the ability for time to go by and in our continual desire to pursue growth and pursue the the tree of life, you know, to stay on that path. And sometimes some of the steps on the path are going to be some that we take excited with hope, with a lot of energy. And some of the steps on the path, we are just hanging on and doing it by feeling our hand because we can't even see the tree in the position that we're at, you know, and we just have to keep going one step in front of another. And that, I think, in moments like that, I've always felt like when that moment ends, when the Savior, I don't know, puts light in my life and in my soul again, kind of, is when I've felt that I had grown the most. And that's kind of a cliche thing to kind of say, you know, our trials make us grow. And <laughs> and they do. But when you're going through it, it sucks. It doesn't feel great. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And it sometimes it feels unnecessary. It's like, you know, but but there's something to feeling things in our existence that we cannot escape. You know, we can do a lot of learning from others' mistakes, but there's a couple of them that we have to do from our own mistakes. And then there's some learnings that we have to do from no mistakes. It's, there, there's no, and, and sometimes that's hard when we think about things and we think, well, what could I have done differently? What could this, and, and you're trying to find like that learning in it and it's like there's nothing that could have been done differently this just was a bad thing and it just happened yep. you know and so that's difficult the last thing i have and i'll shut up it's actually in section 104 when the lord is talking about stewardships and it begins in verse 11 and it says it is wisdom in me therefore a commandment i give unto you that you should organize yourselves and appoint every man his stewardship that every man may give an account unto me of the stewardship which is appointed unto him. For it is expedient that I, the Lord, should make every man accountable as a steward over earthly things, or earthly blessings, which I have made and prepared for my creatures. So in this section, in the lesson, it's talking about this section, this, these scriptures are speaking about lessons we can learn about, about debt, and, and the financial troubles the saints went through. And uh, going back to verse 14, where the Lord keeps talking, he says, I, the Lord, stretched out the heavens and built the earth, my very handiwork, and all things therein are mine. And it is my purpose to provide for my saints 
for all things are mine, but it must needs be done in mine own way. Behold, this is the way that I, the Lord, have decreed to provide my saints that the poor shall be exalted and that the rich shall be made low. For the earth is full and there is enough and to spare. Yea, and I prepare all things and have given unto the children of men to be agents unto themselves. Therefore, if any man shall take of the abundance which I have made and impart not his portion according to the law of the gospel unto the poor and the needy, he shall with the wicked lift up his eyes in hell and be in torment. And that is a pretty cool scripture. <laughs> but I like this because it's talking about in life, we start seeing things as something that's bountiful, something that's plentiful, something that's deficient, people that have, people that don't have. And he's kind of saying, don't, at least for me, what I took is one, everyone is to be accountable and they're to be accountable to him because it all belongs to him anyway. <laughs> Just like when we die, we can't take anything with us. So whatever wealth you amassed, that's it. How did you spend your time too? The other thing that I was thinking about was maybe it's also telling us that scarcity should not be an excuse to either hoard blessings, earthly blessings, I think it says, and not share them with others. Because the Lord is saying there's more than enough to spare. Hmm. So our ability to manage the, the bounties of the earth is how we bless the poor of the earth. And so he's kind of saying that he's made us stewards. And he's saying uh, in verse 16, it must be done in my own way. Behold, this is the way that I, the Lord, have decreed to provide for my saints. The, the poor shall be exalted and the rich shall be made well. So I thought that was interesting. <clears throat> I think um, there's some weird theories that overpopulation creates issues and problems, and which it does locally. But overall, the Lord is saying there's more than enough on earth to spare. Being good stewards is figuring out how to manage that, how to, how to make sure everyone has enough. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.